Hello and welcome to the RBC Ross Trevor Campus Sermon Podcast. Our mission here is loving God, loving people and seeing lives change. At RBC, our heart is to build a Jesus-centered community, to see lives changed in multiple languages and locations. We hope you enjoyed this message from one of our weekend services. To find out more about us, please visit our website, rbc.org.au. Well, I wonder, I wonder if you've begun something with great hope, promise, expectation, and highly motivated. Perhaps the start of a new year and a new health regime. Or perhaps that project or hobby that you've been working on and on and on and on as the years go by. What have you started strong in only to find yourself sort of losing motivation and falling away? We're going to take a look this morning at some major excuse makers. They started strong, but then they stalled. Their resolve had dissolved and their excitement had turned to excuses. Today we're going to start a new series on, in the book of Haggai. Now before we go any further, I'm just intrigued. How many of you here knew that we were starting a series in Haggai before you came? Show of hands. Right. I wonder why there were so many in the room. <laughs> if you knew Haggai, you might not have turned up today. Uh, and you can tell it's a bit of a giveaway, the new series. You can't read Haggai without a bit of confrontation. So if I've been a bit edgy the last couple of weeks, forgive me, because I've been sitting with the text longer than you. Um, but uh, just... Sit in the moment, and I pray that God will use Haggai over the coming weeks to speak to us uncomfortably, but for a good end. If you've got a Bible with you, you might like to turn to Haggai. Now, don't be embarrassed, folks, if you need the index. It's a tiny little book. The best advice I can give you is if you go to the start of the New Testament, which is Matthew, and turn three books left. Of course, that doesn't work on a digital device. You'll just go to Haggai. So it's a bit lost. But it's a very small book. It's a book which is really easy to overlook. It's only got two chapters. It's the third smallest book of the Old Testament, only 38 verses. If you're a bit of a nerd, it is just 0.002% of the Old Testament. So it's easy to overlook Haggai. But it's not just a small book. It is a book that addresses a tiny slice of history. And we know this because there are some really clear date markers in the book itself. Haggai 1.1 says... The second year of King Darius on the first day of the sixth month. 
Now, when historians unwrap that and put it in its context, it equates to the 29th of August, 520 BC. You can't get much more specific than that. And then in Haggai 2.10, the final date is the 24th day of the ninth month of the second year of King Darius, which is 18th of December. So from the 29th of August to the 18th of December, if you do your maths, it is just 112 days or 16 weeks. It is a tiny slice of history. It's no wonder Haggai is an easy book to overlook. But it is in the scriptures. God has placed it there for a reason. I think when we open up a little book like this, it's really important we put it in its historical context. So let me just quickly give you a bit of a historical overview. You see, after entering the Promised Land, after escaping Egypt, wandering in the desert, entering the Promised Land, God's people were given three kings. King Saul, followed by King David, followed by King Solomon. And David wanted to build a temple to God a place where uh, heaven and earth meet, where God would meet with his people. But the honour was to be given to his son Solomon. And Solomon's temple was the centrepiece of the nation. It was built in Jerusalem and it was a focal point for the people's worship. It was a glorious, glittering, golden temple, incredibly rich and opulent. But things went downhill from there. After King Solomon died, Israel was split into two kingdoms. The northern kingdom had ten tribes, and it was referred confusingly as uh, referred to confusingly as Israel, because of course Israel is also the name that's given to the whole mob. And the southern kingdom only had two tribes and was referred to as Judah. Judah is where we get the word Jew from. Because of their disobedience, the northern kingdom was conquered by the Assyrians. And the northern tribes were scattered. It was a judgment from God to cause them to wake up. But the southern kingdom saw all of that unfold, but they were no better. And they didn't learn the lesson from their sisters and brothers to the north. So many years later, the Babylonians came through and conquered Judah. And they destroyed Jerusalem. They decimated the temple. They took all its elements away. They flattened it. And they deported the Jewish people that were there back to Babylon. Back to this area in what is now modern day Iraq. Many years later, God's prophets were predicting that this captivity would not destroy the nation, that it would be a limited captivity, that it would only last about 70 years and then they would be allowed back. So years later, the Babylonian Empire was crushed. They were overrun by the Persians. And Cyrus was the king of Persia at the time. And Cyrus made a rule, a decree, saying that the Jews could go back home. And so the first contingent of about 50,000 Jews went back under the leadership of Zerubbabel. 
And they returned to Jerusalem. And they began to worship God at the site of the temple. They set up an altar. And within two years, they'd completed the construction of the foundations of the temple. But with all their aspirations, with all their motivation, with all their excitement about being home, it was from here that their motivation waned. God sent them the prophets Haggai and Zechariah to encourage them to finish the project. And some 60 plus years later, he then sent Ezra to help with their spiritual fervour and he sent Nehemiah to encourage them to build the walls of the city. This is the context of Haggai's little two-chapter, 38-verse book. So, let's return to the, to the first return. You see, in just over a year after they'd got back from exile, they'd started work on God's house. But their work was opposed. And we read it in the first four verses of Haggai chapter 1. It sets the scene of what's going on. There was opposition from various people. Things slowed down. Protests were made back to the Persian Empire. And in fact, in the end, the king of Persia put another decree out saying, you need to stop building the temple. That was 16 years before Haggai turns up on the scene. So for 16 years, they had been standing on the temple site, surrounded by all the rubble of a wrecked temple, worshipping God and making offerings on the altar. For 16 years, no further work had been done. For 16 years, they worshipped out in the elements. And for 16 years, they would leave the temple site and they would return to their homes. Homes that had four walls and a roof and some significant luxury. The Lord's house remained in ruins while the people had the energy and the motivation to rebuild their own homes and decorate their own homes with more than just the bare necessities. This is the context of Haggai's prophecy. And then God turns up through Haggai. And he says to Haggai, These people keep saying the time has not yet come to rebuild the temple. See, God doesn't say, my people say these words. He says, these people keep saying, the time is not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. It was convenient to say that. It was convenient to say, oh no, well, we, we could start a temple, but it's not the right time yet. It was easy to say it, but it was the wrong priority. It says everyone was saying it. Everyone, that is, except God himself. And God makes it clear he was not happy with this posture. And through the prophet Haggai, God sets about re 
organising the people's priorities. You see, the world may tell us, the world may tell us how they think we should act, how we how they think we should organise our priorities. The world may tell us these things. Even some bloke in a foreign um, Persian kingdom may pronounce decrees about what our priorities should be. But ultimately it is the Lord God Almighty who sets and calls out our priorities. And he's asking a very important question here. He's saying to the people there in Jerusalem, as he says to us and to the people of God down through the ages, is your priority for me or is your priority for yourself? Is your priority for God or is your priority for yourself? All the humour's gone from the room. It's a confronting question, isn't it? If we are a people of integrity, if we are taking the things of God even semi-seriously, it's a question that grates. It's a question that continues to be asked of each of us. When, When adversity comes... Where is our priority? God or me? When sacrifices need to be made, when things need to be reined in, that's a pretty live topic right now. Cost of living goes up. There are things that we might have to adjust. How are we going to set our priorities? Are they going to be godly priorities? Or are they going to be priorities around what I like and want? When we need to balance our time, who gets our priorities? When the world is trying to distract us, where do our priorities lay? Bottom line, when it comes to the crunch, where is our priority? He then moves on from setting the scene to the challenge, the words of God to his people. And in verses 5 and 7, there is this phrase. Now, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. If you take nothing else out of this morning's message, take this phrase with you. Give careful thought. Thought to your ways. It's a very broad statement. It doesn't say give very careful thought to how you do this or that. It is to your ways, to every aspect of your life. Give careful thought. You see, Jesus had this same kind of emphasis when he spoke in Matthew chapter 6 and he was talking about not being anxious. But look at the emphasis that he puts in here. Don't worry about saying, you know, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? What does he say? He says, first, seek the kingdom of God. 
First, give careful thought to your ways. Hear the voice of Jesus. Is his kingdom first? It's a matter of priorities about what's first and where our first love is. So go back to these people that have returned and have stalled on the building of the temple. Really, it's not about the building of the temple. It's not the primary issue. The primary issue is the relationship of the people with God. Through the temple, for the Jew, God was brought near. Without the temple, God is kept at a distance. Through the temple, God determined the agenda, the agenda for the nation. Without the temple, God doesn't appear to have a say. So God is questioning their priorities, not because he wants a temple. He's questioning their priorities because by choosing wrong priorities, his people were missing out. They're missing out on having a full and rewarding relationship with a God and Father who loves them and wants the very best for them. You see, God, that's God and us. We know God to be our Father. We know that He loves us. We, we've sung about it. We declare it. We give uh, mental assent to it. We verbalize it. God loves us and He wants the very best for us. If that is true, we'd better give careful thought to all our ways. Because if there is anything in our priorities, our attitudes or our actions that uh, are a barrier to God's love or to being in the best place, we're getting ripped off, not Him. The issue isn't really the temple. It's attitude to God. It's having the first things first. But you and I know that we become distracted, don't we? We set out with the best intentions. We build the foundations. We set up the altar and then we leave the rest undone. Material possessions are a distraction. Selfish ambitions and desires are distractions. Motivations that are not really godly motivations, they're distractions. Of course, inappropriate behaviour is a distraction. It isn't easy living the life of faith, is it? Or am I alone? It's a constant wrestle. We build the foundation, we set up the altar, we have the best intentions, and we stall. Or we get sidetracked, distracted. But I wonder what blessings we're missing out when we let that grip our life and we stay in that distracted mode. And Haggai goes on. And he points this out in our text in verses 6 and 9. So verse 6, it says, he's saying to the people, you've planted much, but you've harvested little. You eat, 
you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You put on clothes, but you're not warm. You earn wages only to put them in purses without hole, with holes in it. Oh, mate. The more you earn, the less you seem to have. And then verse 9, he says, You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, says the Lord? Because my house, it remains a ruin, while each of you are busy with your own house. So if we feel as though life might be a little less fulfilling than God has promised, maybe we need to take a careful look at our ways. Maybe distraction is there and God's withholding things to wake us up, to call us to himself again out of love. See, for 16 years, the temple had been in ruin. For 16 years, God had been reducing the harvests, sending drought, doing all this stuff that, that meant the people were feeling as though things weren't going well. Was he doing that to punish them? No. He wasn't doing it to punish them. He was doing it in the hope they'd wake up and he could restore them. That's what loving parenthood is about. He was wanting to draw them back to himself, to correct their priorities, to put them in a better place with him. But they just didn't see it. They were too distracted. The Lord Almighty was trying to draw them near, but they kept pushing him away. Have you had a season like that in your life? I know I have. Really uncomfortable season. You know what? It was better not to know God and live blindly than to know God and try and live blindly. Because he continues to hound us. For 16 years, they'd focused on themselves, somehow thinking that if they got it right, life would change. For 16 years, they'd been doing the same thing, year in, year out, expecting a different outcome. And then, in verse 12, we get an indication of what the outcomes are going to be from the words of Haggai. We've got these two characters that are key characters in Haggai's um, book. Zerubbabel, 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 however you want to say it. He's the governor. He's the one who led the people back. And Joshua, he's the high priest. They're the two key people. And then we've got what is termed the remnant. In other words, they're the Jews that are there in Jerusalem. They're the remnant. The rest are still scattered. They're still the diaspora. So then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, Joshua, son of Josedach, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. And the message of the prophet Haggai. Because the Lord God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. So, 
Mike Mills is not a prophet. Obedience doesn't come because God speaks through me. Haggai is the prophet. God speaks through the words of the scriptures to us by his spirit. So all I can do is encourage you folks. Listen to the voice of God through his word, the spirit. Through the scriptures. Through the words of Haggai, his people have an aha moment. All of a sudden, the lights switch on. Now they try something different. For 16 years, they've done the same thing and expected a different outcome. Now they do something different. They step out in obedience. They actually respond to what the Spirit is saying. For us, the issues will be different. We don't have a temple ruin to be um, rebuilt. But the response might be the same. There will be times when we need to wake up to our senses. We need to realise that our ways are just not working. We need to come to a place where we actually eat some humble pie. The Lord wants to restore us when our priorities go wrong. He continues to confront and challenge us and nuance where our foci are and where our emphases are. He does it not to make us feel like trash, not to burden us with guilt, not to shame us into uh, why didn't we listen earlier. No, he confronts us by his spirit, not to leave us feeling useless and hopeless, but to restore us. He does it out of his love. Haggai records it this way in verse 13. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave the message of the Lord to the people. I am with you, declares the Lord. It's a message of nearness. It is the very presence of God. So even in our struggle to make sure we get things right, that we honour God as best we can, he is there all the time to help us and then see what happens. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of the governor. He stirred up the spirit of the high priest. He stirred up the spirit of the remnant of God's people. And guess what the result was? They came and began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month. That was the 21st of December. It was 23 days later. God was doing a restorative work in his people. He wasn't condemning them. He was setting them free from the trap they'd set for themselves. He was bringing them back into fellowship with himself because they needed correction. I am with you, declares the Lord. Remember the words of Jesus? I don't leave you. I don't forsake you. I am always with you. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of. I love that term. <laughs> There's something going on in the inner being of these people. In the governor, in the high priest, sure. But in the average Jew there in the city, God is stirring up something. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could look back 
on these next four weeks and say, you know what? God stirred something in us. He stirred our spirits. Because isn't that what we really need? God walking beside us and God by his spirit giving us strength, protecting us and giving us hope. Energised by him in every area of our life. You see, the task, the task of living as God's people may still be great. The responsibilities will still be there. The struggles in life will still take place. This goes on and on and on. But give careful thought to your ways. I wonder. I wonder what consumes your time and takes up your priorities. I wonder what sort of outlook you have of things that are going on in the world and what your attitudes towards those things are. You see, we, we can even hold uh, our understanding of God, what we call theology, our understanding of God, we can hold to really tightly and it may even be a wrong understanding Maybe your image of God is of this disciplinarian who is just waiting for you to make a, a, the tiniest mistake so he can wrap you over the knuckles. That is not the God that is revealed through Jesus in the Scriptures. So you can hold on to something that is wrong, that is about God. Give careful thought to your theology, your understanding, and then give careful thought to the way you hold it. Do you hold your understanding with God in the way of God, with grace and mercy and respect and love and generosity towards those around you? Do you hold your beliefs in a generous posture? Or are you combative, black and white, wanting to tear down the person who believes something different? Give careful thought to your ways. Are there areas of your life that you need to confess right now? Wrong priorities, perhaps? Misplaced emphasis? Poor attitudes? Pause right now. Just whatever comes to your mind, trust that it is God who is speaking and just bring it to him. I wonder what one thing, because when I pause like that, there's multiple things, but what one thing will you undertake with God to work on this week? Just name to God right now one thing that you, you want to do better at this week. Now hear the voice of the Lord. I am with you. Small or large, whatever that thing is, God says, I am with you. So let us continue to practice giving careful thought to our ways, to reflecting on how well we're living in a manner consistent with who Jesus calls us to be. And let us pray that God might stir our spirits.
as we walk with him. Let me pray. Father, these words of your prophet Haggai echo down through the millennia to bang up against our souls, to make us squirm. But Lord, we thank you that you love us so much that you just want to keep transforming us and restoring us, forgiving us, setting us right again. And so for every one of us this morning, I pray that you would take us into this place where, as we've already sung in this service, we we put our faith in you and your faithfulness. That we live lives that are trusting you and your priorities, not us, our priorities and our efforts and energies. So God, we surrender afresh to you and we pray that you will take us on a great adventure as we draw near to you. May this be so. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening and we hope that you enjoyed this podcast. If this message has impacted you in some way, we would love to hear from you. You can contact us through the hub online at thehub.rbc.org.au or through our social media links in the show notes. See you next time.